Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Guerra, and in today's episode, we'll be exploring the relationship between the creator economy and banking. In recent years, the creator has exploded and become the fastest growing economy. According to figures from Signifier, creators, which includes influencers, bloggers, videographers, and really anyone else monetizing their online fan base, now total 50 million people worldwide. That's a staggering amount of money moving into a new space and platforms with traditional infrastructure and tools struggling to keep pace. So with the creator economy continuing to go from strength to strength, we're asking what banking products are supporting this burgeoning sector. What challenges are still to overcome and what does the future look like for financial services for the creator economy? But before we get started, we want to tell you a little bit about what we've got going on at 11FS and a quick word from our sponsors. Fintech Meetup is the world's largest fintech meetings only event. That's right, no speakers or content, just 3,000 participants having 30,000 online meetings that lead to deals, partnerships, and funding. If you're a fintech, bank, investor, credit union, or anyone else working in this space, you need to join. Fintech Meetup takes place online March 22nd to 24th. Go to www.fintechmeetup.com to learn more and get your ticket. Decoding is back. Our hit video series returns, and this time we're getting under the skin of banks. Over the course of 11 episodes, we're joined by key industry experts to ask, what are the challenges facing traditional banks in 2022? From payment rails to lending, we lay out the landscape before looking at the problems banks are facing today and what they can do about them. Watch now on the 11FS YouTube channel or at 11FS.com forward slash decoding. Enjoy. Let's get started. As always, I'm never alone, always joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some light on all things creator economy and banking. Joining me from 11FS, it's my lovely colleague, Ross Gallagher, manager at 11FS. Thanks to Ross for joining us. You recently wrote about the creator economy for 11FS. What sparked your interest in this space? Hey, Guerra. Yeah, great to be here. Um, yeah, I, I, I do find the, the creator economy space super, super fascinating. I think it's an emergent space. I think it's highly aspirational. Like people want to be creators, and I think that means it's only going to continue to explode. And I guess the way that creators interact with financial services is totally different to most people, right? So I think it's definitely one to watch. Absolutely. I totally agree. And making a welcome return to the FinTech Insider, we've got Latana Ezike, founder and CEO of Expo. Latana, thanks so much for joining us. Can you give our listeners a bit of a background on Expo and your relationship to the creator economy? Yeah, so hi, I'm Latana. Great to be here. Um, I actually used to be a creator. Um, I used to be a sprinter for England, and that's actually how I fell into content creation on Instagram about four or five years ago. I'm not fast anymore at all. But yeah, Expo essentially the back office for content creators. So Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok creators come to us to do their accounts, taxes. As of today, actually, we launched it today and also get the invoices paid next day. That's really cool. Thanks for that. And making a very welcome return as well, uh, making up our panel, we've got the amazing Kyla Scanlon, creator and investor. Kyla, thank you so much for being here. Um, can you give us a bit of a background on your journey on uh, to becoming a full-time creator? Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be back. Um, so 
I uh, started off in traditional finance, so worked for a traditional finance corporation and left them about a year ago, um, spun out an investment education arm at a tech startup, and then went full-time into the creator space in financial education. So I talk about the macro economy, I talk about the stock market, I talk about crypto. So right now it's uh, <laughs> quite an interesting time because all those things are crashing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I just create content to help people get through uh, times like these specifically, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I guess uh, right now you you have a lot of eyeballs, um, I guess maybe teary eyeballs uh, watching your content, (laughs) reading your content. All right. Really good to have you all on board. Let's get started. So let's begin by looking at where the creator economy is in 2022. So we've talked about there being 50 million creators currently monetizing their fan bases. But can you give each of our audiences a brief introduction as to what we mean by the creator economy? I'm going to come to you, Ross, with that first question. Can you give us a brief introduction of what exactly is meant by the creator economy? Who are these people? What are they doing? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it's a, it's a, it's a really, really broad, it's a really, really diverse space it's i mean it's technically anybody that's um you know producing distributing and then sort of monetizing content so it's bloggers it's vloggers it's videographers it's people that are putting their content out there you know sort of going one step further it's it's people that are sort of building almost a sort of career you know, we, we referenced at the top of the the top of the show this idea that there's you know, roughly, according to Signal Fire, estimated to be about 50 million content creators out there, and an estimated two million of those, again according to Signal Fire, are, are sort of considered to be professional, right? They're making they're, they're earning a living um, by putting the content out there, which means that they have the flexibility of you know being their own boss, that they found a way to actually monetize their. Uh, their fan bases. I think that's the sort of aspirational element. And then it's also the sort of the range of, of, of sort of software tools and services, platforms that are out there to, uh, to actually sort of service the needs of these creators as well. Again, an incredibly interesting and sort of rapidly evolving space. Absolutely agree. I think definitely with also, if you look at the way that the web has, has gone, you know, web, web three, which is you know, the assumption that there was a web one and a web two, web one being read when we went onto the internet to read stuff, just to look at stuff, web two being read and write. So, you know, social media, look at stuff, but also write stuff. And web three is, is, is read, write and own, giving that space for, for content creators to actually um, own their own work and, and monetize it. So Kyla, I want to come to you. What's been your journey? So you briefly touched on, on what took you from corporate finance world to full-time creating. Can you give us a little bit more context about like how you, your journey to monetize the work that you, you've you done so far and, and how you've gotten to the point that you're at right now? I, I imagine that a lot of people probably doubted or <laughs> questioned your your choice, your choice to, to go into full-time content creation. Can you tell us a little bit about what that journey has been like? Yeah, so I, I didn't really expect the content to take off the way that it did. Um, and it was almost, you know, forced to go full time just because of uh, some of the time commitments, but very happy to do it. Um, it's a dream, dream job and it's super fun. But um, I think the the path is a little bit tenuous at first because you do have to take a big uh, jump on yourself and, and take a little bit of a risk. Like there really isn't a financial floor for for a lot of creators. Like some people might have a safety net, but a lot of people don't. Um, like I have savings, et cetera, but you know, it is a little bit of risk. And especially like there's three main ways that I'm aware of that creators can monetize and that's through partnerships, their audience or the platform itself. Um, and if you're a TikToker, uh, it's a little 
little bit difficult to monetize from TikTok's platform. But if you're a YouTuber, it's a little bit easier. But with all of those things, you have to have a larger audience um, to be able to execute upon that, right? Um, so it, you sort of have to map out how you think the growth will look like. And, and that's really hard just based on um, changing trends. Uh, so I think like a lot of people take the jump and and sort of think about monetization later. But yeah, it can be difficult, but it, I think it's worth it for people who, who want to take that risk. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that like um, you mentioned having, you know, it, it being a big risk, right? You know, having a safety net is helpful. Having a plan at least is helpful. But but I want to come to you, Latana, when, when you were a creator and, and now you've, you've gone on to start Expo, can you tell us what exactly were the gaps in the market that you found that, that really inspired you to, to go forward with Expo? I think it started off with my first personal experience when, you know, I was first at university, broke as everyone is, and essentially brands started reaching out to me saying, hey, you know, we'll give you free spikes, free gear if you post us. And I'm just like, hell yeah, of course, I'm getting free stuff. And then two to three months later, it becomes, hey, what are your rates? How much do you charge? And I'm kind of pulling numbers out of thin air, hoping they would accept. Um, they were definitely lowballing me at the time, uh, but I was happy um, at the time. Then obviously finding out what other creators were earning, I was like, whoa, I will definitely lowballed. And essentially when I did my first invoice with a brand, um, I just didn't understand the concept of, you know, you want my content now, but you want to pay me in 60 days. And that just didn't make any sense to me um, at all. I guess as someone who works normally like a freelancer, they'll be used to that. Uh, but for me, I was like, no, there has to be something different. And that's when we essentially created Expo to be like, hey, let's start off paying, you know, the invoices for creators early on. That's kind of our wedge in. Uh, we actually do it completely for free. So we don't actually charge any money. Uh, just because we feel like, you know, you know, with creators, it's, hey, your management takes fees, the agency takes fees, someone else is going to take fees, and then the taxman takes fees and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't charge that at all. Essentially, our end goal after speaking to creators is that, you know, creators are not just content creators. They're also human beings too. They also deserve access to the things that matter in life. You know, mortgages, car finance, phones, et cetera, et cetera. But like we've seen, there hasn't really been much development when it comes to banking or financial services when it comes to the creator economy. We're actually seeing on our platform that creators are earning about 2.2K a month, um, which is actually 40 to 50% higher than their you know, age mates counterparts working nine to fives, yet they don't get access to simple things as phones and mortgages. So what we hope to do is use the data that we accumulate over time uh, to be able to leverage that and broker that to the banks to let them know, hey, this person that you thought you know was unemployed because you don't see any nine to five income, is actually out earning their peers and we using their social graph are able to say with 95% certainty um, that they're going to earn a certain or X amount of income every month for the next three or four years, which then obviously gives them access to the finance. Yeah, that's great. I think definitely like bridging the gap for, for legacy institutions um, and creating that trust is, is really important. And uh, the work that you're doing with Expo is, is very important, especially for helping a lot of people like monetize their work. So um, Ross, I want to come to you. Like what other banking or financial services have, have caught your eye? Because there's there's quite a few that you've covered in, in, in the post that you recently published, but um, which ones did you feel were really interesting? Yeah, there, there's so much of what Kyla and Latana have just said that I think point to the, the challenges, right? From a, a sort of being a creator and being able to access um, this sort of financial services. And actually, Guerra, you made the good point as well about um, sort of web three, right? I think, you know, we've talked about the sort of, say the modeling, the credit decisioning, where that is today does not stack up, right? To be able to 
properly service the likes of a creator economy. Kyla mentioned the issues around sort of being able to model growth and all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, of course, traditional financial services want that assurance. They want to be able to look at it and go, yeah, okay, we can see how that works out over time. Fine, we're going to give you some credit, right? So if you want to look at, of course, you know, Expo and those those other great examples of providers that are sort of playing in that that invoice financing space. But I think Natana made the point that that's the sort of wedge in, right? I think um, that is a natural space to go after, right? Help, we talked about the issues around monetization, but help creators get paid more quickly for what they do. I think the reality is... Um, most of those providers that are playing in the sort of the invoice financing space now, um, really they're actually looking at how can we build out a more comprehensive and more complete suite of financial services for creators. And Guerra, I thought the point that you made about Web3 was really interesting because from an infrastructure perspective, the way the creators earn their living and the way that they get paid isn't always in traditional currency. Actually, a lot of them get paid maybe... Um, you know, NFTs in exchange for content or whatever it is. So I think when you start to take that slightly longer term view as well, actually there's, uh, yeah, there's some real value on the table, right? There's some real problems that we need to solve here for uh, creators that are very much non-typical. Yeah, and, and you know, like, absolutely. Like, creators are also people, right? <laughs> like we said, uh, they want to get mortgages someday and, and you know, have a credit card and, and be involved in, in the in in the economy in some ways. Kyla, can you just touch on some of, you know, whatever, what what products have you seen that, or even products or services that have you, have you seen that have made your life easier and people that you know in, in this space versus like, what are still some challenge, well, well, we'll get to challenges in a second, but um, what, what are some of the, the services that you've seen in the space that are really, really helping people? Yeah, I mean, I there's a lot out there. Uh, I personally use Wave apps, uh, which is an invoicing system, um, and, and that's pretty useful. I use Gusto also, uh, so that's also helpful. Um, it really is just like about sending the invoices to them and making sure there's a way for them to pay it because they all want to pay in different ways. Um, so a lot of times it's just like trying to figure out what the most efficient way to get the money is. Um, and I monetize primarily through partnerships, um, but with the platforms, like that's a whole different payment processing place as well. So I think the big issue is just consolidation. Uh, a lot of creators have money flowing in from a lot of different corners usually, and it's, uh, it can be difficult to make sure that you're keeping up to date with all the money flows <laughs> across the, you know, your, your income statement. So I think that's the biggest thing is um, it can be a little bit overwhelming, just the sheer amount of information that you have to do because you're essentially like a, a CEO, CFO, CMO, <laughs> you're everything, <laughs> COO, um, and, and that can be a lot. Uh, for for people to try and um, wrap around, yeah, I bet that's definitely, um, yeah, a, a one person team. You know, for most creators, it's it's you know, one person kind of team. But we've seen we've seen the the number of creators explode really during the pandemic with proliferation of of TikTok and lots of people having a lot more time to to spend, um, you know, consuming content. Like so, Latana, what really? How much of an effect has the pandemic had on the creator economy? Do you think? And and do you foresee? those changes kind of sticking around post-pandemic? Yeah, I definitely see that sticking around post-pandemic. I think what happened over the pandemic itself is that people really started valuing their time. And um, I think that's what the key thing was. They started saying, hey, okay, cool. How much input of my time am I putting in for this output of, first of all, joy and happiness, and number two, income. 
And what they started realizing is, hey, you know, I can actually create content of something that I like doing anyway. So it doesn't actually feel like a chore or a job. Um, and I don't feel like I want to just clock out at 5 p.m. And I'm also earning considerably more or in comparative to what I actually do, which is why a lot of people are actually leaving their nine to five to come actually come to be a content creator um, themselves. So I definitely see this. I mean, I feel like if people want to be happier in things that they do, uh, a lot more people would either switch to being a content creator or have a second quite substantial stream of income um, of being a content creator as well. I mean, it's crazy, right? I'm seeing, I think there's, there's a woman on TikTok um, she does like a data entry job, um, but now she, I think she's called Mrs. Excel um, on TikTok. You know her? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And she's making a lot more on TikTok from just showing different, you know, shortcuts and all that kind of stuff through there than her actual day job. That's great. I mean, definitely like, yeah, there's so many like of these micro influencer creators in like super niche spaces that are just really finding a lot of success which is which is great but let's 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 go on to the next part and move on as well while there's a, there's so much to be excited about you know let's look at some of the challenges that are still to overcome and what opportunities they present uh, for those who can solve them so Ross having looked into this in your blog post where do you see the challenges in the market right now so like what are what are if you could name like one or two of the biggest challenges that are being faced in, within the creator economy and being involved in the economy right now yeah, I think it's really interesting. And again, because it's such a, a sort of rapidly evolving space, these sort of challenges, again, are sort of like um, evolving and you sort of emphasize different areas sort of all the time. I think what's one thing that sort of Latana mentioned earlier on is this idea of um, creators now actually becoming founders within the the sort of creator economy space, right? And I think that speaks to something that says that you know, creators are operating in this space. They really understand those challenges that, that creators like them are facing. Of course, Expo is a great example of, you know, you guys coming in and sort of addressing that issue around the sort of financial services aspect. I think there are lots of other, even if you move outside of financial services, lots of other challenges that, that sort of need to be addressed. You know, there's a huge amount of, um, you know, Kyla mentioned the, the, the sponsorship models, a huge amount of admin that, from a project management perspective that needs to be handled around uh, putting out sort of sponsored posts and all of that sort of stuff. You've got something like um, Mo Assist, essentially a sort of CRM or a sort of project management tool, again, that's been um, sort of founded and launched by Danielle Bernstein, who's also a, uh, comes from a, a sort of creator background. You've also got issues around trying to understand your audience in a, in a, in a, in a good level of detail and sort of, growth metrics and trying to understand that. And you've got, you know, platforms like Stir that will start to give you some of that information. I think one of the major challenges at the moment is that all of these platforms are sort of disparate. Um, they all exist sort of almost in isolation of each other. And it's very difficult then to get that sort of holistic view across using a single platform across all of those. Um, but I think, you know, we're seeing a huge amount of sort of VC interest in this space at the moment. And I think what we're going to see is these platforms continue to evolve and continue to become more sophisticated, attack different verticals and, and, and address these challenges for creators. So the information a publication estimated a total investment of $5 billion into creative-focused startups in 2021. If you were on Twitter last year, the creator economy was a hot hashtag. Oof. 
and you know there 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 was some skepticism in in the last year but there's like 5 billion dollars is a lot of money to be invested to be investing into uh, a specific space latana what have your conversations been like with investors in this space and and what's how hard has it been has it has it been hard to really um convey the value of of serving such a niche group of people yeah i think it's it's definitely been difficult for some funds we found that us funds are well, definitely more open uh, uh, to hear about the creative economy so with the creative economy i'm actually very very specific when we say creative economy because i don't like to get get like, conflated with you know gig economy or freelancers so how i define it is someone who makes income from their image and likeness on social media um specifically um so some people say, hey, UI UX designer could be a creator, economy or a creator, but to us personally, yeah, expert, we don't class them as a creator, we class them as a freelancer through there. And I think the very important stat there, which is what I actually advise a lot of VCs on, is that, hey, you're going to get a lot of, you know, startups coming out saying, hey, banking for creators. And then when you really look into it, it's just like, okay, what's different between you and Monzo at the end of the day? You're just kind of using it because it's a hot topic um, at the moment. But it's actually solving the key problem for the content creator starting off with getting paid or getting new jobs and then the taxes, filings, back office side of things. As Ross said, that it gets quite complicated in terms of, you know, admin, the shit about admin through there. However, we have seen funds, you know, look into, so even right now, we're actually raising our Series A at the moment. So we actually seen quite a lot of funds who are kind of like fighting to lead um, the rounds because we're what they're looking for is more the infrastructure play um, rather than you know the tools play um, essentially because they want to see uh, a company create that deep relationship with their creator uh, so much so that when you do introduce you know the banking product or the lending product in, in the future the creator definitely sticks with you and doesn't churn to somebody else um, essentially can you expand on that because I want to hear more about when you, when you talk about the infrastructure play like, can you give just a vague example of what that could look like in five years? Yeah, so essentially the infrastructure play looks like what, what we're trying to do here is, hey, we're starting off as a tool or one tool for the creator, uh, be able to get them to do their invoices. But like uh, Kyla said, the you know creators actually earn from multiple different income streams. So to speak about one creator that I spoke to recently on our platform, you know, he has management, but he also has payments that come in directly through partnership, directly through him. Then he has the creator fund, which is on TikTok. Um, then he has YouTube AdSense as well through there. And of course you can't do invoices for all of those. So what's great is actually with open banking itself, you can actually be able to see its incomes coming in. However, normally when banks see this, they just see it as a transfer in. Uh, we can actually come in there and automatically tag um, certain transfers in as income um, and then be able to compute all of that and uh, to be able to allow banks to actually say, hey, hey this person we're actually able to give credit to. But our key goal actually in the future is for us, because we understand our creators the most, uh, is for us to actually be able to lend to these creators um, directly when it comes to credit card, mortgages, or whatever it may be. That's that's great. That touches on what I said earlier about being involved in the economy. In the UK, I imagine that, that, that that's awesome to build. I wonder if the states where open banking isn't as open, I guess, or as widely spread uh, might be a little bit tough. But you mentioned the creator fund. From TikTok, so I want to touch on on platforms and and their the role that they play in really supporting or, or I guess facilitating the, the creator economy. So my broad question really is like, will platforms actually continue to dominate? Because you know, like we said, like Web two was read write, uh, and then Web three is read write and own. But like, you know, the, these these platforms are kind of catching up real quick. You know, Instagram just the other day announced a like creator feature that that's going to let people have. Um, 
super follow type things. Twitter has introduced a super follow Patreon style subscription service. Um, you know, Snapchat has funneled, Snapchat has funneled, funneled $250 million into their creators via its spotlight feature. Um, back to TikTok, you know, $200 million of a fund was started in 2020. And, um, you know, they've deployed a lot of that capital to, to creators. So Kyla, how, how do you, do you see these new opportunities? Will they impact where creators focus their, time and energy or are we going to see like a real shift to i guess more decentralized uh cre creator uh, platforms or whatever i don't know yeah i mean i think the most important things that the platforms solve for is distribution and you can't just like go and get that anywhere like you almost have to be on tiktok and for a lot of people tiktok is top of funnel so tiktok is not generous. It's just not generous with the creator fund. Um, so a lot of people use TikTok as a way to gather an audience and then they'll send them over to YouTube where YouTube pays out, I think, 50% of their revenue to creators, um, which is a lot more than and than probably TikTok is doing. Um, or they'll go over to like a newsletter group like, like Substack and do paid subscriptions. Um, so the key thing that platforms are important for is just distribution. And I think like with the Web3 model, the exciting thing is ownership. So being able to own the content that you produce versus the platforms having quote unquote rights over it. Like they, at the end of the day, like Instagram shuts down and so does your distribution. So does how your content gets to those audience members. So I think web three and sort of like that, the, to the idea of decentralization that you brought up, like that would be appealing from an ownership and protective benefit, but from a distribution perspective, like unless they're able to really gather, like, you know, I, I, I don't remember how many people it's like billions of people I think use TikTok. Um, so unless they're able to do that, replicate that, it, it, it just won't be the same. Ross, you, you were like nodding your head fiercely, you know, at talking about platforms and where people's eyeballs are and and energy and where creators are are making their mark. What do you think is is really going to be the future of like are we going to see more siloed followings or are we going to see these mega stars like Camila whatever Demilio I think her name is <laughs> Charlie Demilio I think these billion people um, with tons of followings or are we going to continue to see like. Uh, followings get smaller and more niche and more and uh, people being are people going to be willing to pay more for their content yeah and kyle is exactly right okay so you need you need a one of those traditional sort of media slash social media platforms that solve the distribution problem that's how you start to grow your base right i think and we, we've, we've seen how that's evolved you know youtube sort of offers that that share of ad revenue which is great so that becomes a, a sort of income stream Harder to do that on some of the social media media platforms that we've that we've mentioned, but I think what it also gives you the opportunity to do is is really build your fan base, really build that connection with your fan base, and you know where we've seen that go go sort of horribly wrong as well, right? We've seen brands getting in touch with creators and saying, "Hey, can you promote this product to your audience?" That's valuable for brands because they can't reach that audience any other way, right? This is this is why we've seen this as well take off in the pandemic because, you know, brands had to find a way suddenly to engage online audiences, right? So so doing that through, through creators who've taken time, right, to nurture that following and to build that connection, for the brands, there's a clear win. Now, that hasn't always been the case for the creators and their audiences, right? It doesn't necessarily, that product doesn't necessarily line up with their personal brand as a creator, right? And that can have a negative effect on, followings and trust and all of that sort of stuff right so um i think that's a really tricky one 
to manage. And I think that's an ongoing struggle. What I think is interesting, and we're starting to see a trend now, is creators finding new ways to sort of monetize that connection that they've built with their followers that isn't necessarily through brand partnerships. And there's a, you know, a wealth of sort of community builder platforms out there. So the likes of a circle, for example, where you can move that sort of smaller but more loyal and more engaged portion of your your whole following onto those platforms. And again, it speaks to that sort of ownership point that you've made where not necessarily in a decentralized Web3 context, but it gives you that sort of direct connection where you're not relying on um, a share of ad revenue or brand partnerships. You can actually start to monetize that relationship through paid subscriptions, right? So you're, 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 getting that, you're getting that monetization directly from your fan base. And there's a whole wealth of other options, you know, um, premium content, you know, merchandise, um, coaching, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there's lots of different ways that, um, that this can play out. Absolutely. And, you know, this was a chat about challenges, but we, we really went into a lot of opportunities here. So having laid out the current challenges, let's look forward to what's possible for the creator economy and banking going forward. So there's been a lot of interesting developments all around the world, really, and in emerging markets specifically. So in LATAM, you know, a recent survey of more than 5,000 creators in Brazil said that half of, half of them made less than $100 per month. So nearly a quarter of them didn't even monetize at all. So, and according to Statista, one in three internet users in the LATAM region follows an influencer. So more than 40% of Brazilians report to having purchased a product because a creator recommended it. So this is back to like the micro influencer type economy as well. So can the creator economy really truly go global in 2022 and, and do emerging platforms possibly even need their own native platforms? So like, for example, I'm going to talk to you, uh, Latana, about Expo. Expo is currently based in the UK, right? Um, but it, it, are you considering expanding into the global south where the audience is really growing very young population, especially where, where I'm at right now in, in Kenya, like in Africa, very like a large young population who are consuming content online primarily. Um, do you see do you see Expo expanding into the global south or into emerging markets and, and do they need their own native, native platforms? Yeah, I definitely see Expo potentially expanding. However, it's with caution. And what we mean by this is that, you know, the creator economy in the UK is not the same as creator economy, for example, in the US. It's completely different um, how it works. So here in the UK, you know, you could have 5,000 followers on Instagram and actually be seen as a creator and brands actually pay you. If you have 5,000 in the US, you're no one. You literally probably used to start off probably around 50K before you're somebody uh, for brands to pay. Um, and just the connections that they have, the audience is completely different. So I think before we expand, what we like to do is, and the reason why we're here in the UK is because we have expertise and knowledge of creators and how they interact either with financial services or their audiences, or just the sheer ad in itself. Um, however, what we'd want to do is before we go into any of the market, it's not, you know, it's not just ticking a box. We'd actually want a representative to go over there and actually learn for like a good three months and then to see actually how things work in these different markets before then approaching to actually expand there. Because what you don't want to do is, you know, use Western ideologies or UK ideologies to go to um, an emerging market and you end up finding out that things work completely differently over there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the main issues, yeah, like having to go there and understand in, in different regions what problems are being faced and how, what they're definitely different to what's being faced in the UK, for example. But I'm maybe a little bit too bullish on, on crypto <laughs> and the future of crypto. Uh, so, you know, I definitely think that like, Crypto could be a solution to to paying people and especially getting around, uh, you know, various 
fees and moving money internationally and all that. So Facebook and, and Instagram have reportedly explored plans to make and showcase and sell NFTs, really. Uh, so this, which is pretty cool. Like, do you think that uh, crypto is going to have an impact on the creator economy? Kyla, I'm going to come to you in terms of just like providing, you know, a platform for people to actually share their work, but also somewhere to get paid as well. Is that something you'd even consider for yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm bullish on crypto. I work with crypto companies. I am invested in crypto. Uh, so I think it's great. But I, I think also like there is a way for it to level the playing field where it is accessible. It's not just the US dollar. Um, you're able to access it at all points of the globe, uh, hypothetically. So I do think that's like really appealing. But I do think that there is a certain amount of volatility. Like ideally you pay people in stable coins, right? But I do think there is also an element of volatility just because of the lack of regulatory clarity here in the United States. Like how is the United States going to regulate this? And that could really put a dent in how it's perceived here. And then obviously I still think it's going to do well overseas because you do see some countries like El Salvador you know, completely adopting Bitcoin. So I think there's a huge opportunity for crypto to uh, provide access to people, but there are some headwinds that I could see it maybe not being adopted in the way that would be most beneficial for everybody just because of regulation. Ross, I'm going to come to you. You're nodding your head. Do you have any thoughts about around that? I do. I I, I found your, your point where, you know, really interesting that um, this, this survey in, in Brazil had half made less than $100 per month. And I think I... It, it's important, I guess, to, to put some of the some of the statistics in, in context, right? I don't remember who who made the the point earlier on in the conversation, but not all people that we would consider content creators are full time content creators, right? So if you've got a hundred dollars per month, you know, over a a, a twelve month period, actually, that's a nice little bit of of side income, right? And I think to to put that into into sort of further context. That's actually really impressive that you've, you've managed to monetize to that amount in markets where the the, the, the tools really probably don't exist at all. I mean, we're, we're talking about some of the, the challenges in some of the more advanced markets where maybe the creator economies are a little bit more established, where they have marketplaces where you can connect with brands quite easily and actually find those sort of sponsorship opportunities. That's not... Um, that's not necessarily always the case, right? In some of the less, uh, the, 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 where, where, where the creator economy is, is, is sort of less established or at least more nascent. So again, I think it speaks to a, a sort of growing trend and there, you know, that there is a demand for these types of products and that actually you'll probably see this take off in a sort of J-curve fashion as these tools start to emerge. Yeah, I think I'll touch on one, one uh, example in Africa. So in Nigeria, there's a company called Flutterwave who recently acquired a company called Disha. So Disha allows creators to easily build one-page websites where they can curate their content and receive payment for their work. This is all like super like no-code, low-code kind of solution. And Flutterwave acquired them last year. And according to TechCabal, Nigeria's Flutterwave wants to position itself as an ally to the creator class. So this is in on the continent of Africa, in Nigeria specifically, where it's notoriously really hard to move money out of the country, move money in and out of the country with a fluctuating uh, currency um, as well. Flutterwave has really committed to to you know aligning with with creators uh, and allowing them to to earn income, um, but also be involved in in the economy as well. So that's I, I'm I'm quite excited. I think the global south is also very interesting, very exciting space, just mostly because, in my opinion, like just not even my opinion, it's just truth. Like <laughs> there's more people who are adopting technology way faster than anywhere else in the world. 
um, and who are like on average a lot younger. Uh, so I think that 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 presents a really interesting opportunity. So. I'm going to um, come to you, Ross, again about like talk, talk, Ross and, and Latana, really, I want to kind of get your thoughts about this, about banking and, and really the idea of the super app. This like, Latana, you mentioned the the platform play that, that you're considering as well. Like, is there ever going to be a super app that does all of it? So banking, credit, investment, invoicing. Is is there is there something that will be a, a you know, one size fits all? Um, or is it going to be kind of like the creator economy, which is quite fragmented and small, and there's small players serving niche communities? I'll start with you, Latana. I think what's going to happen, first of all, I think there will be this super app that does everything. And then it gets, again, it gets fragmented because, you know, someone else is going to come along and say kind of the same thing as uh, eBay or Craigslist started, you know, buy and sell everything. And that was amazing until, you know, people start coming with their niches and like, hey, we do it only for cars, Airbnb do it only for space and all that kind of stuff. And they, they end up providing a better service because there there is um, that niche. I think one point I wanted to bring up was when people talk about the creative economy and even uh, crypto into it and all other things, I feel like people need to be even more specific because it sounds nice. But like, for example, with let's say on the crypto side of things, crypto or money only has value to us when we can spend it. If we can't spend it, there's actually absolutely no value in that money. So of course, crypto would help. However, like Kyla said, um, regulation stores it a lot because you know it's about getting it from the blockchain into actually fiat currency for me to be able to spend. And that's where the actual real issue is because you know, for, for example, Nigeria has banned crypto on that end, so it's very, very difficult uh, for people to actually get uh, fiat to be able to spend uh, through there. Also, when it comes to the creators, for example, and I think Willow are actually doing quite cool things, is that we've seen it on our end, you know, we can just say, hey, we pay your invoices in 24 hours. But really and truly what happens is that, we you know, we need to contact the brand to confirm that you actually work with that brand. And these brands, you know, on emails take two, three days to respond. And there's a whole hectic thing that happens over there. And I think what Willow is doing that's actually great is actually trying to change the brand's software that they use because right now brands are just very very manual of emails however if there is that link um just there and they can just confirm with a click of a button of a button that makes things so much easier so i think it's about delving into the real issues and problems that the creators have rather than just having this kind of lukewarm overview of the creator economy because that's when you know people start saying hey you know we're doing banking for creators with no real benefit to the creators Look, I totally agree. I think um, the term super app's an interesting one. Will everything, all of the services that people need be centralized in a single place? Possibly, but I think ultimately where providers will add value is the the sort of the contextualization, I guess, that sort of sits on on top of that, right? Those sort of smart insights. You know, how can, you know, I think Latanda touched on this. How can you take the payments data and, and, and sort of start to use that to actually um, solve the problem that Kyla was talking about, starting to sort of forecast cash flow so that then you can start to feed into better sort of credit decisioning, et cetera, et cetera, and start to solve for sort of bigger and bigger and bigger problems. And there's, we've seen parallels, right? There are parallels to how we've seen just sort of fintech sort of attack very niche verticals and then sort of expand. Um, we've, seen, we've seen this happen before. And again, you're starting to see, we've sort of touched on the, 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 the VC interest in the space and big names, right? The likes of a passion capital, early investors and Monzo sort of really now heavily invested in the creative economy space. And there's no reason to think that 
we won't see sort of creator focused propositions expand and sort of take off in the same way in a, a sort of creator or user focused way um, to really start to solve for some of those bigger chunkier needs. I think Ross actually made a, a, a great point that's made me think now is that you see, sometimes we think about the end goal in terms of, you know, like I've said, you know, the finance and banking, credit, blah, blah. But there's also, you know, for creators, there are three main things. It's kind of like, okay, first of all, I want to earn money. Uh, second of all, I want to increase how much I earn. And then third of all, then it's, then it's the future proof stuff, um, essentially. And something we try to do is use the data to actually help creators know their value and how much they should charge. Because uh, a lot of creators is kind of like charge what their friends are charging and they're not really too sure how things are working. And what someone is able to build, which we have done, is because we invoice factor for quite a lot of brands, a lot of creators, we're able to tell a creator when they're creating a 500 pound invoice for Nike, a pop-up actually comes up saying, hey, you know, with the invoices we finance for Nike, we can actually see they normally pay, you know, 1,000 pounds for some of your stats, which actually helps educate them on how much, you know, how much value they do bring to the brand and how much the brand is actually willing to pay um, as well. So I think that's also a good point that Ross brought up. I think that's great. I think definitely pay transparency in general um, is is great and should be a thing across the board. But besides that, Kyla, I'm going to come, wrap with you. Like, what's What do you hope to see going forward as a customer of these kinds of services? Yeah, I think the pay transparency is super important just to like highlight that because it is the Wild West. And brands uh, know it's the Wild West. And so you'll talk to one creator who's doing a similar deal and it'll be completely different pricing models. And there isn't really a pricing model for content like this. So I think that's really the hardest part is um, a lot of creators don't know how to price themselves and they end up completely, you know, undergutting themselves, which isn't great. And then I just think from, you know, a, pl a platform perspective or just thinking about the, the banking aspect of it, uh, there's a lot of stuff that as a creator, you know, you're essentially a freelancer, sort of, you don't get healthcare, <laughs> uh, which in the United States is like really bad. Um, and you also don't get a 401k. So you have to like use different apps to do all of that stuff. Um, so there isn't, to go back to that point that we were talking about earlier, like the super app, there isn't anything that's like, um, there isn't like a creator coalition, right? Where you can just sort of access all the things that you would normally get if you work for a traditional corporation. And that's sort of the trade-off that you make when you go and become an entrepreneur, which is what a creator is, a, you know, a startup founder essentially. But it's a little bit difficult because you're not scaling, you're not necessarily raising rounds from VC. So you, you just don't have access to the same amount of capital in order to like get those everyday necessities. So I think that's super important is like, how do we, um, to, to I think one of the earliest points I was Made, made in the conversation, how do we help creators, um, you know, be treated a little bit more like humans, you know, which they are, but I think there's a little bit more room for that as well. Yeah. Well, we can, we can go on and on about this, but I, I guess I'll leave you with the, Kyla, you're saying creators should unionize. Is that, is that what you're saying? No. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I think there's always room for conversation and, and sort of like the room for dialogue, like uh, Hank Green has done a lot. Hank Green, who's a science creator, like one of the OG YouTubers, he's done a lot of really good work around pricing transparency with TikTok and just talking about like what it means to be a creator on these different platforms. Um, and he, I think, gets it. And I think there needs to be more people like that who are just talking about this stuff because if we don't talk about it, like nothing gets done. So I think there's room for, for collective conversation. Yeah. Ross, we'll, we'll wrap on you. Yeah, I just, I, I, I do think it's a really important point to, to, to sort of reinforce, right? Because ultimately it's a power dynamic. Um, I think, you know, you've got these mega, mega big brands, blue chip brands that are engaging with this, you know, single person creator. 
And I think there's an onus on the brands as well to sort of, you know, really respect the creator and their audience because they're deriving value right from actually uh, sort of engaging that audience as well. And I think you've got, you're starting to see now um, platforms like Fuck You Pay Me, where creators are starting to come together and say, hey, I got paid this much by this brand so that every every other creator that's engaged with that brand can come and they have that visibility, right? But this shouldn't be necessarily grassroots and sort of from the creators up. I think there is also a, a sort of onus on the brand here to, to, to be respectful and sort of engage with them. Absolutely. Empathy. Everyone should just be empathetic and nice to each other. All right, let's wrap there. Um, so that wraps today's discussion. We could, we could really go on and on about this for so long, and I'm learning so much talking to you guys, but thank you so much for joining me. Um, so where can people find out more about you and your companies? We'll start with uh, Latana. Yeah, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So that's L-O-T-T-S-X-B-O. And the company website is expo-app.com. And can you just spell expo for, for everyone? X-P-O hyphen A-P-P dot C-O-M. Thank you. Yeah, because I, I would think it was an E in there. Thank you. All right, Kyla, where can people find out more about you? Uh, yeah, so I'm on TikTok at Kyla Scan, on Twitter at Kyla Scan, um, on Instagram at Kyla Scan. And then I have my own newsletter, kyla.substack.com. And I'm also on YouTube, uh, just under Kyla Scanlon. And I also, if you want a collective uh, site for all that, it's kylascanlon.com. Yeah. Ross, what about you? Oh, wow, follow that. Um, I am just Ross Gallagher07 <laughs> on Twitter, um, but I'm going to be checking out all the guys' links. Awesome. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter, not Guerra. Um, so thanks so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, please do subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps make the show better and helps other people find it as well. Uh, and as always, you can always join, join the conversation and find us on social media. So just search for, for 11FS or Fintech Insider. Uh, we're on all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, or email us at podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you so much and goodbye. Goodbye.